Welcome to Without the Footnotes, Not Your Typical Holocaust Lecture with me, your host, Estherini. On this week's episode, I'll be talking about the genocide of the Indigenous Americans. Hi friends and welcome to Season 2, Episode 1 of Without the Footnotes, Not Your Typical Holocaust Lecture. It is I, your host, Esther Rini. I hope everyone is doing well. We've had a little bit of a break from learning about the Holocaust and genocide, and now I'm going to get back to it with this second season. Um, today is Martin Luther King Day in the US, and I couldn't help but feel a little bit reflective on where we're actually at with like civil and human rights. And last week I mentioned that the US is a nation born out of and built on violence, which is something that actually Martin Luther King said himself. And this week I'm going to take a deeper look at this. And it's just, I don't know, for me, it's all lining up really well in that we're kind of talking about current affairs. And I'm also teaching you about historical events that are that have happened and seeing how they're relevant today and I just I don't know it's everything's kind of lining up in the right way so that we can kind of understand what is really going on today so I hope this episode does shed some light on um yeah current affairs and before I get into it I just want to share a quote from Martin Luther, Martin Luther King that I actually saw on Instagram today which says Our lives begin and end the day we become silent about things that matter. And I just want everyone to kind of reflect on that a little bit, like just for a second, because I'm recording this podcast off the the back of taking part in a global allyship summit, which was organised by Together We Remember. And you can look them up and see the kind of work that they do. And we heard from a lot of speakers um, and a lot of people that have experience and who are experiencing very very traumatic things and it just made me realize that there's a lot of work to do to alleviate other people's suffering and I don't really ever want to get complacent in that I know that we all have a lot of things going on in our lives and we and you know we got our own things to get on with but um yeah I just I just think that if we all kind of like work together, we can actually alleviate people's suffering, even if it's only only momentary. If we all just chip in a little bit and like kind of share the load, we can affect some kind of change. And I just want you to bear that in mind when you listen to the podcast. Maybe you're inspired to do something or research something or have a conversation with somebody or kind of, you know, even just expanding your worldview a little bit or donating to charity or promoting someone's NGO or something on your socials, um, raising awareness, that kind of stuff. Um, I really would encourage you to act on it because you don't know your tiny, tiny act or maybe it's a big one. You have no idea how much that could mean to somebody and how much that might actually alleviate their suffering or at least, you know, letting people know that there's people out there that care um so yeah sorry I've just been inspired to kind of tell you all that like I don't think there's an act that's too small to be honest but anyway I'm not going to ramble on anymore because I want to get on with this week's episode which is taking a look at the genocide of indigenous peoples in North America so let's crack on
Okay, so here we go. The genocide of indigenous peoples of North America. Now, you've probably heard that in North America, colonization of indigenous peoples saw the spread of European diseases that ravaged the indigenous communities. And whilst the introduction of diseases is true. Europeans did bring disease over to North America and it did cause a huge decline in the Native American population. It has been argued that this is not wholly genocidal because, you guessed it, being able to prove intent, like bringing these diseases, was it intentional that they actually wanted to wipe them out? Wanted to wipe Indigenous people out with these diseases or not? But I'm not going to go into the whole historical debate over that. Um as it's very complicated and North America is a huge um, a huge territory. So things happened in different locations in different ways and at different times. But what we do know is that Raphael Lemkin, so the guy who coined um, the term genocide and actually came up with the concept of it, st- actually studied the impact of colonialism on indigenous peoples in the Americas. And this is what actually helped him to reach his initial broader definition of genocide in his book, Axis Rule in Occupied Europe. So I'm going to follow in the footsteps of the master and unpack how genocide was perpetrated by set- settlers in the 17th and 18th centuries in order to build what we know as the land what we know now as the land of the free um so colonization of the americas was this whole violent mess thanks pretty much to the spanish french english i think dutch as well um mexican argentinian and chilean campaigns of expansion into indigenous territories and not to forget to mention Um, There was also colonisation of Canada and the Caribbean. So we would need absolutely hours to dive into all of that history. It's like 500 years of history. But in short, we know that biological warfare, so the intentional spread of disease, was indeed used. There were massacres, ethnic cleansing, slavery, bounty hunting, forced removal of children, torture, military occupation, pretty much you name it, it was done. So how did the genocide against the indigenous people in North America occur? Well, during this time period, North America was viewed by Europeans as a a hopeful place, a new world ripe with opportunity and ever-changing opinions of the indigenous peoples that lived there. So naturally, the colonisation was multifaceted and complicated, just like everything I feel to do with genocide is, is quite complicated. So I feel like whenever we think of genocide and how it happens we have to understand that there's always a multitude of factors that cause a certain group to act or be able to act a certain way towards another group and it's rarely straightforward so we know that from the 10 stages of genocide it's rarely linear and um especially implementing the crime um yeah it can kind of like jump back and forth between stages so in North America the way that survival differed substantially between the groups that were there became a defining aspect of English settler colonialism so if we're thinking about the 17th and 18th um, century we're looking at English settler settler colonialism and what does this mean in order to expand develop and build stable communities within new territories the English initially worked alongside other Europeans who were also colonizing the land and the Native Americans however 
They eventually ended up with a social hierarchy that was divided racially, shock, and was white supremacist in nature. So let's just take a mental note of that when we look at the America of today. And so as a result of this, um, genocidal violence was perpetrated against Native Americans long after the early years of contact where different communities had somewhat worked together. I'm not saying it was peaceful, but um, initially they had been working working together, you know, to develop trade and all of that kind of thing. Um, And violence seems to really arise when permanent settlements are established and there is competition for land and natural resources. So there was also this thing called settler anxiety at the time where the settlers were nervous that the local natives would become violent towards them, which did actually result, whether they actually were or not, whether the the natives were actually violent towards them or not, um, it did actually result in settlers attacking these communities to eliminate the assumed threat that that they thought that they faced so kind of like get them before they get us mentality and what I think what I want to talk about um sorry what I want to talk about though is Anglo-American expansion in North America where by the mid 18th century colonial patterns of settlement politics and economic exchange was the driving force behind the expansion so white Americans were united because socially and economically, this group had a common interest ensuring that they remained top of the food chain, as it were, in comparison to the indigenous and enslaved people that also lived there. Um, Why was this? Because at this time, Native Americans were understood by the white people who were there as the the common enemy. Oh, that was a bit of a tongue twister. Common enemy common enemy (laughs) colonial success hinged on controlling transforming and if necessary eliminating indigenous peoples altogether as native native peoples were viewed by them as uncivilized and as i mentioned before they were deemed a threat to safety a threat to the safety of the new white settlers and there was also this ever-present fear that there would be slave uh, revolts So these racial anxieties were then magnified by the Revolutionary War between North America and Britain. And in 1790, the then US Congress passed the Naturalization Act that defined citizenship by race. So this this act outlined that, yep, you guessed it, anyone who was white was allowed citizenship and after residing in the United States after a year. So you've got all these people coming over to settle. If you are white, you are automatically favoured and you can gain citizenship after staying there for a year. So what did that mean for the for the indigenous peoples? It meant that an ideological factor was now incorporated into settler expansion across the country. So standing in the way of the white settlers, settlers expanding their territory were the indigenous communities of the south southwest the great plains and the west and it's at this time that often genocidal violence and policies were perpetrated against these communities so between 1830 and 1850 the united states government implemented a policy of forced relocations known as the indian removal And this is where approximately 100,000 indigenous peoples of various nations were forcibly removed from their ancestral homelands in the southeastern United States 
to new areas that have been designated Indian territory. And I don't like saying the word Indian because I'm pretty sure it's problematic, but that is what it was termed at the time. And this is regarded as a genocidal policy because these removals and relocations would often occur without any regard to the preservation of indigenous lives. So if so it's these kinds of policies that can be viewed as genocidal because you are intentionally um like moving a people knowing that they will perish so the relocated people suffered from exposure disease and starvation whilst en route to these new territories or designated areas and thousands would die before reading uh, reaching their destinations and shortly and also shortly after from disease so the expansion actually into California is one of the clearest cases of how indigenous people were affected by this violence. So the population was reduced from approximately 300,000 people in the 1750s to just 30,000 by the end of the 1850s. And this is because the land was rich in natural resources and specifically it you've probably heard of the gold rush. So this prompted high migration to this area of settlers and resulted in the elimination of indigenous peoples from this land. So because of the belief that white people were racially superior to indigenous people, they were constantly referred to in derogatory ways. They were savages, they were violent, they were less developed, they were peoples that absolutely needed to be controlled. And of course, the whites, um, with their kind of like white supremacist attitude, saw themselves as the people to do that controlling. And if violence that was perpetrated towards these indigenous communities... Um, by like the white settlers the government at the time would usually act with indifference so there wouldn't be any repercussions for acting violently towards these communities so there were really no obstacles in the way to assert white supremacy in these areas so as a result intentional destruction of indigenous communities ensued to ensure that the dominance of what was understood as a stronger better like whatever you want to call it race to make basically to ensure that white people stayed on top um so to give you an idea of what this violence looked like there were massacres across the country but one in particular was called the sand creek massacre of 1864 where colonel john chivington led a massacre of the cheyenne people i hope i'm saying that right of which nearly 200 were brutally murdered And Chivington and his men took scalps and other body parts as trophies, including human fetuses and male and female genitalia. So in defence of his actions, Chivington stated, and this is a quote from Chivington, the man himself, Damn any man who sympathises with Indians. I have come to kill Indians and believe it is right and honourable to use any means under God's heaven to kill Indians. Kill and scalp all, big and little, nits make lice. And I just thought it it was important to read that quote to you so that you could kind of understand the mentality of white Americans towards these indigenous peoples. 
and you only need to just give it a little google you can read um a lot about different kinds of massacres and how they happened um there's a lot of stuff online about that um but yeah massacres like this and a lot more were happening all over the united states and i believe that without the genocidal destruction of the indigenous people we would not have the america that we see today i would argue that it was a pretty successful genocide because of the decimation caused to indigenous tribes we also see it and understand it today when indigenous peoples are um, campaigning to um, reclaim the land their lands and the lands of their ancestors um, just I know it's not included in the definition of genocide but the absolute destruction of indigenous culture as well um, to me highlights how brutal these campaigns actually were because if in the beginning um, colonialists and, and new world settlers settlers could work alongside the the indigenous communities they've then over time built up these anxieties towards this group and then turned those anxieties into violence and then white supremacist thinking has then turned genocidal which is a lesson that we can kind of look at today of how if you if basically if you freak yourself out to a point where you become ideological about your place in society and where you should sit compared to other groups and other people then it's dangerous and I think that speaks very very aptly to what is actually happening in America right now and the way that the people who are actually trying to start this revolution are white supremacists like that hasn't gone away just because 200 or whatever however many years have passed America is a country that has not faced its history and we need to be doing something about it now so that it doesn't get out of hand um so yeah that is a very very brief um explanation of genocide of north uh, of indigenous people in north america if you want more information about how this um violence took place i would recommend buying this book by peter nabokov it's called native american testimony and it is a, chrono a chronicle of Indian white relations from prophecy to the present, 1492 to 2000. And that's available on Amazon. And just to read you um, the blurb quickly, in a series of powerful and moving documents, anthropologist Peter Nabokov presents a history of Native American and white relations as seen through as seen through Indian eyes and told through Indian voices, beginning with the Indians' first encounters with European explorers, traders, missionaries, settlers and soldiers to the challenges confronting Native American culture today. Native American testimony spans 500 years of interchange between the two peoples, drawing from a wide range of sources, traditional narratives, Indian autobiographies, government transcripts, first-hand interviews and more, Nabokov has assembled a remarkably rich and vivid collection, presenting nothing less 
than an alternate history of North America. And the reason why I suggest that book is I think it's incredibly important to listen to the voices of the people who these kind of violent traumas are actually happening to. It's their history also. And um, if I had more time, or I don't know, maybe I'll do other podcasts where I read um, testimony. Let me know if you would like something like that. Um, yeah, I think it's important to hear, to, to also understand history through the eyes and the testimony of the peoples that lived it. So yeah, if you're interested, that's a book I would recommend to buy and what else did I want to say today oh yeah a call to action so as I mentioned earlier I was at um, I took part in the global allyship summit and they actually gave us a website to see how things are all lining up all together so weird um they actually gave us a website that you can it's a it's a world map and you can go to specific places in the world and you can find a place let's say New York and you can hover over New York and you can see actually who those lands used to belong to so the name of the peoples that those lands belong to and it's really really interesting so I would recommend it it's called um, native land so native-land.ca I will put a link um, on the Instagram post and in the description of this episode um yeah and just go on there and have a look and you can see um yeah you can see where specific tribes come from and and also like just it's nice to see a different view of the world map and actually be able to see where indigenous peoples and and where they lived and what they actually called the places before you know oh we all came along and just colonized everything and just ruined it all um so i would recommend that and also, so as part of this summit, um, we heard from a we heard from a lady. Her name was Mali Obomsawin. I'm really sorry if I don't pronounce this right, but it's not. This is not my forte pronouncing indigenous names, so I can only apologise. Um, and she spoke about indigenous peoples, and she really encouraged people to listen to the voices of these communities, specifically, and I found this really interesting, specifically regarding environmental issues. So I know a lot of people, especially like my age group, care about the environment. I mean, not just my age group. Everybody cares about the environment, right? Or one would hope. Um, And she said that we should be listening to the voices of indigenous peoples, specifically regarding environmental issues. Why? Because although they only make up 5% of the world's population, they actually protect 80% of the world's biodiversity. So she said it was really important that we take into consideration when thinking about environmental issues and activism, what these communities suggest, what they want, and um, yeah, and just not to be like just blindly doing our own activism, like to actually bring them into the conversation more and listen to what they have to say and how they think that we should be approaching it. So the main issues she said were giving these communities back their sovereignty 
So in order so that they can not only tackle racial injustice, injustice, but also tackle these environmental issues that actually end up affecting all of us. So this can be done by giving land back to these communities, land and resources, obviously, and by letting the leaders of these communities take the lead on these issues. So she actually is the president of an NGO. It's called the Bomazine Land Trust, and that's B-O-M-A-Z-E. W-E-N. I'll also put the link to their webpage in the description, um, which you can take a look at. And this NGO enables direct descendants of the Abenaki and the Waba, Wabanaki peoples to renew and resume their caretaking roles for their lands and waters. <clears throat> oh, sorry, <laughs> frog in my throat. Um, through repossession perpetual protection and healing of ancestral ancestral Wabanaki spaces that have historical, spiritual, ecological and cultural significance to their nations. So if you go on their website, this is a call to action. You can directly support what I've kind of talked over and you can make a donation, you can see how you can get involved, you can just have a look at their work, maybe, um, yeah, do some promotion, turn somebody else onto it, maybe you know somebody that's really into environmental issues and, and um, yeah, be good. Connecting people is always good and maybe they can collaborate. Um, but, you know, if we're really going to speak and learn and understand and yeah understand all these issues we also alongside that need to be doing something proactive so I'll definitely be taking the time to um kind of um educate myself on indigenous um activism that's happening so that I can just incorporate that into my you know everyday knowledge I don't just go back to the same peoples or the same the same um avenues in terms of like trying to affect change I actually incorporate them into my conversation as well so yeah and you can also go on Instagram and you can find indigenous artists to follow there's some incredible oh, follow some great Instagrams of um um people who are doing sorry I'm saying I'm um, a lot well um <laughs> I follow some incredible Instagrams of artists um Oh, no, I can't stop saying, um, I'm so sorry. Okay, I'm going to wrap it up because it's late. Beadwork, some great beadwork. So another way that you can also support these communities is to buy directly from them. And with that, I'm going to end it before, before I reveal how mad I've actually gone. Anyway, I hope you all enjoyed the episode today. I've heard from a few people that you really liked the poem that I did last week. I don't have one for today, but... I'm definitely going to get back on that. Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed the episode and that you have a wonderful week. As ever, please rate, review, subscribe, share. Um, If you've got any questions, email me. If you want to have a chat, just send me a DM on Instagram or or whatnot. And yeah, that's all for today. I'll catch you next week. Ciao.